0: guys, and welcome to the Grace Under Pressure podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Willis, and today I am joined by Valerie Brasso. Uh, introduce yourself. Tell us a little about you.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me. I am a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I work in the mental health field, which is my, my passion, my jam. It's what I love to do and love to raise awareness around. And Part of that is because I have lived through my own mental health concerns, and that really led me to um, wanting to be in this field so I can help support others, help them understand better, help them feel less alone. And I have seen a lot of parallel in my personal journey of recovery with mental health and my professional journey, as well as my jujitsu journey. There's a lot of connections there.
0: Oh, for sure. The mind and the body definitely connected. So my question is, what got you into jiu and how long, I know you said you've been a purple belt, how long you've been training, where you're based out of, those sorts of questions.
1: Sounds good. So I started in Montreal, which is where I'm from. So I received my blue belt in Montreal. I've been training about 11 years now. And I got into it because originally I started training in karate when I was about... 11, I think, uh, my brothers were doing it. I wanted to do what my brothers were doing. So I got in that class and I enjoyed it quite a bit, but when I got my black belt in karate in my, um, in my late teens, I realized that I wanted something a little more practical and a little bit more full contact. So I went into Muay Thai and did that for several years. And then the, uh, students from the Jitsu side of the gym would come over and in a friendly way, pick on me and kind of toss me around. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking, I have no ground game. (laughs) I gotta do something about this. (laughs) So I tried one of the jujitsu classes and I I fell in love with it. And I realized that I would rather choke people than take fists to the face. And I just kept I just kept on going with jujitsu. And then it it really helped me tremendously in in so many aspects of my life and it's such a an integral part of of what I do now.
0: So I know um... It it seems that jujitsu draws in people sometimes from like you just said from different martial arts and you saw it's more practical. In what way would you say jujitsu is more practical for those wondering the the difference? I guess.
1: Hmm. So I worked as a um, as a, a bouncer. I guess you would say I worked security in nightclubs for some time, and during those years, I relied much more on my jujitsu than my striking. First of all, as a woman, I am not planning on going toe to toe with any man who comes at me. That just is not safe to me and I don't feel in control. So the fact that jujitsu allows us to hold and maintain positions and and control movements and um, working with the gi as well, everybody wears clothes. Mm -hmm. So there's always grips to grab jujitsu seems like a much safer way for me and for the other person in that context because you're not trying to hurt the patrons of your establishment right. you just need to mitigate the the risk of the situation and keep everybody safety so in that regard jiu-jitsu was always more practical for me and I do feel that way about protecting myself in a more um in a less of a professional environment and just kind of on the street if somebody were to come at me with ill intentions I just feel that it would give me More confidence and more ability to control the situation, rather than trying to throw strikes with somebody who can probably uh, outstrike me in terms of the strength of of what they're doing. Sure,
0: sure. I think, um, and I'm a I've never been a bouncer, but uh, I'm a teacher, and so I can always justify holding a student down as opposed to punching in the face Mm -hmm. or something. Um, And I know that you have you mentioned just a moment ago about your involvement in the mental health field. So could you tell us a little bit about your background in that?
1: Absolutely. I began volunteering in mental health in 2013, because I wanted to help provide a service that I wish I knew existed when I was in my darkest place. Mm -hmm. And that really ignited a passion for the field. And I started Uh, volunteering more and more and trying to get involved in training certifications anything I could get my hands on and I eventually started uh, training the volunteers on the helpline where I volunteered as opposed to being a responder myself Mm -hmm. and I realized that I could make this into a career and so I started my own business where I offer one on one uh, peer support and coaching and then I also do training and consulting for uh, corporations, organizations, that kind of thing. So I've been able to use all of the experience that I have in that field, as well as what I've lived through, to be able to provide mental health education that's more, more personable and more approachable and a little bit less on the clinical side. And it's it's been really um I've, I've been really grateful that I'm able to do that. And it's it's helped me in my journey of recovery as well as my, my professional journey, obviously. It's been um, really amazing.
0: Oh, yes. I can imagine being able to see it from volunteering to actively training and getting involved and starting your own business and helping people. I can imagine that is incredibly rewarding.
1: Absolutely. It's great to see that, I'm able to utilize all of that to help both people and in the larger sense, the community in terms of social service organizations, that type of thing. And it led me to continue my education. I did a social service worker diploma, and then I'm now doing a master's of social work. I actually had my first class tonight.
0: Right. So my, my question, because I'm just thinking you're back to you know when I was a teenager and how things have changed from... You know, then to now with mental health, what are what have been some big changes that you have seen working in the field and perceptions on mental health, Struggle uh, issues that seem to keep popping up? What are some things that you've noticed with mental health over the past couple of years?
1: Mm-hmm. That's a very good question. And of course, it's impossible to answer that question without mentioning the pandemic, which had great impacts on mental health and mental wellness. I think that there are some very positive changes where we are talking about it more, we are being more open about it. And that stigma is getting broken down, which is really great. And especially in something like a school setting where students would suffer in silence and it would be hard for them to get the support that they need, that's really starting to change. But at the same time, the stressors that students and youth are living with now are things that didn't exist, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Things like the influences of social media, the cyberbullying that can occur, all of those things. So they're they're facing unique stressors that were not the same when their parents were that age mm-hmm. and that can make it difficult for the family unit to be the source of mental health support. So the fact that it's becoming more prominent in schools, uh, to have, you know, social workers that are on site, that type of thing. That's really a move for the better. And I think that that stigma is getting broken down in those conversations that are open and, and tough, but honest and important are happening quite a bit more. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I know there are differences between the Canadian healthcare system and the uh, U.S. healthcare system. What does that mm-hmm. look like in terms of mental health being a covered through the uh, the state insur- or the governmental insurance plan versus how it is here, which it's a lot of mental health care is not covered by insurance. So is it, is it more readily accessible for people in Canada today
1: or what, what have you noticed on that? Mm-hmm. That is certainly an important point. With the Canadian system, so a psychiatrist will be covered, which is a great starting point for a diagnosis, for medication, for sort of the the base of the care that you would need to receive for mental wellness. However, a psychologist or psychotherapist is not covered, and that can be extremely pricey, and it's that ongoing long-term support that really can make a difference in someone's recovery. Mm -hmm. And so that's still we're still working on that that's still an aspect that requires a bit more you know policy change and and budgeting by the government to uh, make sure that everyone gets the support that they need but at the base of that mental health care there is a lot that's more accessible than it would be in the us for example as someone who works in a community-facing organization if a client has a crisis We have the ability to call a mobile crisis team that would be led by a nurse or a social worker rather than simply calling an ambulance, which inevitably comes with officers, which could be um, just it can be very difficult for anybody. And especially we have to be conscious of our clients of color who, you know, the relationship there with the police force, there's uh, risks associated with that. So having that access to those crisis teams is really a positive thing. And there are many changes that need to occur in the system. And we have to also recognize the strides that we've already made and, and what is accessible um, that's covered in Canada that gives us that that sort of the base, like I said, of that mental health care.
0: Mm-hmm. And I know that they have uh, been working on some plans like that here in the US. It's just, again, it's making the policy changes, budgeting, because uh, right now our police, they're kind of having to do everything and some are good at handling crisis moments and some are not Mm -hmm. Uh, right and so of course like you said all those uh, factors such as age you know race gender even the outcome could be positive or negative depending absolutely and so getting back to jujitsu how have you seen as a jujitsu practitioner and as a mental health professional uh, do you see the two of them as mutually beneficial? Like if someone is going through maybe that ongoing uh, need for care and mental health, is jujitsu helpful for that? Is it not helpful? What, what have you noticed?
1: I think there, as I mentioned, there are great parallels between taking care of our mental health and what the jujitsu community can offer. It has been an amazing tool for me in my recovery. Jujitsu has offered me many things it's offered me community and support and friends that i feel like are my family it's offered me a physical outlet it's offered me an emotional outlet it's also provided me with an opportunity to build confidence and and be certain of what i can do and what i'm capable of accomplishing and my purple belt i always joke that even when i get my brown or my black the purple will always mean more to me because I went through so much and persevered through so much with mental illness to keep showing up on the mats, keep training and eventually get that purple belt. So it's really, that belt means a lot to me. And I find that jujitsu can be beneficial for a lot of people in terms of mental wellness because of the the factors that I just mentioned that it offers. And also because it, it can sometimes exacerbate symptoms mm-hmm. of mental illness, but that allows us to learn our limitations and learn the strategies that work for us for mitigating those symptoms and caring for ourselves. And we find the balance between push and pull and when to determine, okay, I need to push myself to go to class tonight or no, I'm too anxious. I need to stay home so that I can go tomorrow and actually do my best. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's really a symbiotic relationship where It helps your physical health, obviously, but there are a lot of mental advantages. And if you have the support that you need from your professional circle of care, jujitsu is absolutely safe and beneficial to engage in as somebody who struggles with mental health concerns. Many people like to say jujitsu is my therapy and I appreciate that sentiment. I believe that jujitsu can be therapeutic But only therapy is therapy. And if Mm -hmm. you need treatment for mental illness, then that is going to require the support of a mental health professional. Mm -hmm. Um, But that being said, jujitsu can be a a really fantastic tool in that recovery process.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think uh, even uh, I grew up a bit of a gym rat myself and people would say, you know, the gym's my therapy as well. But Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's, I guess that I'm not sure what the correct psychological, uh, you know, psychological term would be um but it's almost like you're able to do a physical man like able to physically release some of that stress Mm -hmm. and get some of those uh endorphins and get that kind of natural high so to speak Um, absolutely i know uh when i was growing up i it and i did taekwondo uh, and that was just being able to be physically active and exert physical, you know, force on another object. It just was able to, I didn't even know I was uh, not diagnosed depressed at the time, but that my brain just didn't produce serotonin really. And so that right. was, you know, just me self-medicating without even knowing it. Um, mm-hmm. So what, uh, you mentioned your journey in recovery and in, in progress with mental health. Do you mind going into that journey?
1: I don't mind at all. It is something that I have worked on over the years to be comfortable being open and vulnerable about because I think that it helps people either understand better if they've never been there and feel less alone if they have been there. Mm -hmm. So I was diagnosed in my early 20s with bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder. And I struggled through a degree at McGill University, untreated, undiagnosed. Mm And eventually made it through and and got that degree, but my grades were certainly not good enough to keep going to grad school afterwards, which is what I wanted to do. And that's when I realized that I was not doing well. I got my diagnosis, which for many people, a diagnosis might feel like a negative label or a stigmatizing term that's attached to you. For me, it gave me logic. It gave me a sense of, okay, if there's a name for this, that means other people experience it as well, meaning it's not my fault and I deserve support and care for this.
0: A nature trail is more than a path. It's a place for laughter, self-reflection, and a breath of fresh air. All Trails Plus helps you plan your next hike so you can relax and enjoy the journey. Discover new trails near you with the distance away feature and get immersive trail previews and offline maps so you can take those exciting first steps with confidence. Get outside today with three free months of all trails. Plus. Just use code podcast23 at alltrails.com slash podcast. That's three months free at alltrails.com slash podcast with code
1: podcast23. So that helped me start that journey of recovery, as I say, and put me in a position where I knew what kind of treatment would help with the disorders that I was living with. However, recovery is never linear. There are a lot of ups and downs and stumbles and falls and picking yourself back up. And so it was a very forwards and backwards journey for me. I had uh, three suicide attempts in that journey, which one of them put me in a coma for almost a week. And when I woke up, I think it was that moment when I realized, okay, I I tried really hard not to be here and I'm still here. Mm -hmm. There has to be a reason for that. Mm -hmm. There's gotta be a purpose. There's gotta be something I'm meant to do. And it wasn't instant, like this moment of epiphany. And then my life turned around, but it was certainly a moment that gave me some resilience and a little bit more fortitude in trying to find what that purpose was. And I realized that it was to work in mental health and use what I had lived through to help support others. And so now I am married, which for somebody with borderline personality disorder, many clinicians will say that you can never have a successful relationship with that disorder. Mm -hmm. I have a healthy marriage, I have a career that I love my own business that I've built from the ground up. And it is a lot of effort and a lot of energy and a lot of support from the people close to me and from my Um, mental health professionals that follow me as well but it's completely possible to manage those symptoms to build a life worth living to find hope and to be able to carry on regardless and be able to manage what life has thrown at you so I I am not my illnesses Mm -hmm. I am a whole person with dreams and goals and accomplishments and I happen to have two illnesses and I do my best not to let those hold me back.
0: Well, that's, that is definitely a inspiring and story and encouraging story for those who may have a similar diagnosis or those who feel like I can't be anything other than my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I think so often, at least, you know, again, it depends on the culture you grow up in, but I think uh, at least the culture I grew up in, you you didn't want to talk about mental illness. You didn't want to Certainly not admit you went to therapy, let alone go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just suffered, you know, in silence. People would say, oh, well, that's Tom. He's just crazy. It's like, well, no. If if Tom went to go talk to someone, he may find out, oh, he's got this imbalance or he has this disorder. Let's find out how we can best treat him. Exactly. And so, and I think, and perhaps, I don't know, maybe it's you know <clears throat> families of origin, but they some people see mental health issues as a sign of weakness. What would you say to someone who may be struggling with therapy or seeking out uh, advice on mental health, but they see even asking as a sign of weakness? What would you say to that?
1: I would absolutely say that seeking support is a sign of strength. And it's important to remember that that stigma is what, prevents so many people from seeking the help that they need and reaching out for the services and the supports that are available to them that would help them lead a, a healthier, more stable and happier life. And that stigma is insidious and it's dangerous. And we perpetuate it with the language that we use, the attitudes that we show to people who have mental illness. And it's something that we need to really be mindful of. I believe that mental illness is never our fault however it is our responsibility as someone with a mental illness it is not my fault there's no shame in having those disorders but it is my responsibility to get the care that i need so that i can be an effective person who's not harmful to myself or others so seeking that support is absolutely a sign of strength and mental illness is not a weakness. It's literally a medical condition that happens to people and you are not alone. Mm -hmm. So I think that message of you are not alone is a really important one for anyone who feels that seeking out help would label them as weak or broken or anything like that.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, for sure. And I wonder if maybe in those combat sports such as jujitsu, or other maybe more uh strength-based sports like powerlifting or something like that. Perhaps maybe, and this is just me wondering uh if maybe we if they that's maybe where if you are a practitioner or you compete in those highly competitive sports, you know, you can throw American football in there, of course, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh maybe do just get it together. Just, you know, man up, just keep on going. I wonder if that continues to perpetuate that kind of stigma. I'm not sure. What do you think?
1: It absolutely does. And I think that that exactly like you phrased it, that man up attitude is something that is pervasive in these competitive and more physical sports. And it's something that we need to be mindful of and start changing the narrative that seeking the support we need emotionally and mentally is just like going to physio or getting acl surgery or what have you we need to take care of this body that we're in and the mind that controls it and it's not something that we should be ashamed of and actually this is a perfect segue to mention an organization that i that i work with Uh, for those of you who have heard of it I'm sure you've seen how adamant we are about mental health awareness. And those of you who haven't heard of it, I work with Submit the Stigma, which was founded by Aaron Hurley, who's a black belt, mm-hmm. a competitive high-level black belt. And we raise awareness for mental health and mental illness within the martial arts community. And that's exactly what we're trying to combat, is that attitude of toughness and mental toughness and just rub some dirt in it, walk it off. That's exactly what we're trying to um we're trying to do away with so that people are more comfortable having those honest and vulnerable conversations. So I would recommend that anybody who's interested in finding a community of support and learning things about mental health and finding educational tidbits and inspiring stories, um, follow Submit the Sigma on Instagram and on Facebook. We do great work and we would love to have anybody else involved who'd like to help out so that's just something I wanted to mention but that's exactly what what we do what you were saying that attitude that is in so many tough and physical sports that we need to change so that people can get the support that they need and I did an Instagram live for my business uh, last year with my husband because he played American football in California and in North Dakota for some years and he saw that firsthand Mm. that attitude of get back on the field you're fine um you know you need to come to practice you can't miss any all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and he had a chat with me about it and it's it wasn't easy for him because he also was raised in that culture so despite witnessing that there was this mental toughness attitude where emotion was weakness mm-hmm. he could see that that was happening but it's hard for him to change that attitude within himself because it's so ingrained
0: what are and with it being so ingrained and not, as you're mentioning these things of uh, this mental toughness and you, you mentioned uh, your husband but why well, I, I just remembered with simone biles and this past mm-hmm. olympics mm-hmm. and how much grief she got is it's remarkable she stepped away for her own mental health and people still gave her crap
1: absolutely so
0: how do you break i'm just wondering to myself uh Mm -hmm. how do you break those mental habits yes we can recognize them but what are some steps that you know you would you know suggest for people to you know recognizing it and how to break it in your own thought process
1: hmm that's something that can be very difficult to do our self-talk and the way that we frame things can be very hard to fight when it's been in that pattern for so long and I can offer some concrete things that we can do about that there's a few sort of on the macro level which is as you were saying with with Simone um having those prominent People and figures step forward about their own mental health. That is huge in breaking down that stigma and uh, being able to start those conversations. And individually, things like minding the language that we use. We often will use a diagnosis as a punchline. Mm. He likes his kitchen to be clean. He's so OCD. Mm. Well, that's not what OCD actually is. It's it's quite a disruptive and painful disorder that involves intrusive thoughts and other symptoms that we don't think of when we use it flippantly in conversation Mm -hmm. or my favorite show got canceled. I'm going to kill myself. Well, Mm -hmm. are you really though? It's, you know, we use it for exaggeration and to make our point, but we don't realize that it diminishes the experiences of people who actually live with those things. So minding that language can help us reframe the conversation around mental health in our own lives And then just trying to remember that our mental health concerns do not define who we are as a person or our worth as a person. And there's an exercise that I I like to recommend for anybody who struggles with that kind of thing. I've also recommended it to athletes who have uh, struggled with that. Piece of not letting your losses or your wins define who you are, either, Mm -hmm. and finding your worth as a person. And that exercise is really honing in on your values Mm -hmm. and what's important to you, what you believe in. That's the core of who you are. Mm -hmm. And trying to reframe the way you think so that those pieces of the puzzle are bigger and more important is an important step in letting go of that shame and that guilt around something that we perceive as a shortcoming, but is really a mental health concern that so many people deal with.
0: And that's, that's huge. I mean, just reminding ourselves of who we are. It's not that, you know, diagnosis or the wins or the losses that, that, you know, that's just a light bulb there for an athlete of any kind, you know, competitive mm-hmm. sports or golf or, I mean, that's a competitive sport. I, I should say contact sport versus non-contact sports, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that is huge. Cause I've seen people before on the mats, uh, they may not, you know, identify as having, uh, or have been diagnosed with a mental disorder, but they do not win well, or they do not lose well. And that is right. so. It's like, dude, breathe. It's okay. It's just a match. You're healthy. It's okay. Absolutely. And so it's, it's a really good reminder for anybody in any sport just you you aren't your latest win you're not your latest loss and uh and if you're defining your worth on something that can change one day and you know be one thing one day and something the next day that's really scary if it changes that quickly you know you never know.
1: absolutely um uh,
0: and i think too about uh a lot of my students because again my background is in education with teaching And, you know, my students, some of them, they will just get, if they're, you know, soccer players or, you know, football players, they can get so downtrodden just Mm -hmm. from a loss. And it may have been in the worst ones, usually it's when it's so close and they almost went and it just Mm -hmm. seems it saps all their will the next day. They just can't focus in class. It's just, they missed it. Their whole identity is being the baller. And uh and I try to encourage them and say, no, it's okay, you've got the next game. No, Miss Wills, you don't understand. If I can't do this, you know, <laughs> I can't, you know, go to college. You know, so they wrap so much up into right. that game. They put so much on the line. Uh what would you I'm trying to think here? How would um, we be able to use jujitsu in a way that encourages maybe it's coming from a coach but maybe it encourages you to see yourself as more than just that win in that role or mm-hmm. or not or even not seeing another school as competition that oh we got to beat that person you know how what would you right. yeah what would you argue
1: I, I think it's interesting because it it is a contact sport it is a competitive sport many people are competitors and so it's finding that balance between that desire to win and that that push to be the best you can be, which is, is very important, especially if you want to compete. But remembering that there are so many parts to who we are, I think that can really be pushed forward, like you said, by coaches and um, by people in leadership positions in these academies and these gyms who are you know upper belts who are people that the students look up to if they can start sharing this message of really highlighting who people are outside of purely that like you said that win or that loss or beating the other gym or whatever the case may be who is the person who'll always be there when you need a friendly ear who's the person who will always come running with the pack of ice when you get injured we're a community and Oftentimes in a in a healthy environment, if that's what you're training in, it feels like a family. And so putting that highlight on, you know, oh, this person will always help the new white belt. They're so generous with their time and trying to position people as whole people who have worth for many aspects of themselves rather than purely the sporting endeavor that you're in and and the wins and losses that come with that. So it can be encouraged by those people who are in, in leadership positions and in positions of authority or, or influence based on the way that they're viewed. And in many cases that could be because they're a high level competitor who wins a lot. And just for that reason alone, they're looked up to. And so that gives them an opportunity to really be a leader in building the type of culture that that gym is going to have.
0: Febreze is a proud partner of Can't Cancel Pride however you choose to express yourself Febreze has the perfect scent to make your home even more fabulous in your own unique way have an amazing pride from Febreze
1: trying to grab all the groceries in one trip oof not how you would have done that knows sometimes less is more like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount USAA get a quote today
0: oh yeah for sure and I think um I'm blessed at least uh with where I am he really are black belts here they really care about who you are as a person um, and so it's one of those things where they pull people aside that have just been you know jerks and typically they don't last long in our gyms uh not because we run them out it's just they're not getting that ego struck stroked, i should say yeah. and so i don't know uh if uh as, as a purple belt is probably one of you know i at least being a purple belt female being a female in jujitsu regardless but being a an advanced belt in jujitsu um how have you been able to be a role model for females in your gym what have you uh seen works well for for you in your training
1: i think the main thing i try to focus on is to really put a stop to that competitive attitude of as a woman feeling like you have to pit yourself against other women i'm more this i'm more that i'm you know, all of these things that we that we look at to try to be, I don't know where it comes from, really. It's especially mm-hmm. it's that desire to be the girl who's not like the other girls. And I'm mm-hmm. not sure why we all do this. And it's something that I grew out of in the last five, six years. And I'm glad that I did because it is so much more fun and it's so much more... Uh, supportive when we can band together Mm -hmm. and be a community of women in the sport so I try to really encourage that attitude of welcoming everyone and especially for higher belts let's not intimidate the girls who are just starting out who don't have the techniques down pat yet who barely know the positions Mm -hmm. we need to be there to guide them and support them so I really the main thing that I do is strike up friendly, casual conversations while imparting little nuggets of wisdom about when I competed or when I started training and Mm -hmm. my experience as a woman in the sport and just make them feel welcome. And like that conversation is open so they can come to me if they need to talk about anything. Mm -hmm. And I I really like that jujitsu can, what it can do for women among many things is that It can teach us that our body is valuable for what it can accomplish rather than what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important lesson that I, it took me a while to learn that. And I'm still learning that, but that's something else that I think women who are just starting in the sport can really benefit from. So I try to really push that aspect of it as well.
0: Oh yeah, no, I almost shouted out. Say it louder for the people in the back. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh man,
0: no. Because I have uh, actually. I again. I'm. I keep bringing up my kids. I've got. I joke that I'm a mom of 80 kids, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I encourage all my ladies. Most of them do cheerleading. That's huge here, or at least uh, mm-hmm. in this part of the country. Um, they are always so concerned with their body image and i'm teaching these juniors who are getting ready and they're thinking about the rest of their lives i say hey y'all are already in my neck of the woods why don't you come over you know i help teach you know it'd be fun mm-hmm. and you know say oh i can't do that i said no if my friends who have got two knee replacements can do it they've got a bunch of back surgeries Y'all are still mostly cartilage. You can do this. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and some of it, and I've told them just from a safety standpoint when they go off to college, um, it's one of those martial arts where it is so especially so applicable for females. Cause mm-hmm. uh, and I've I've encouraged them. I have younger cousins who are now, you know, they've graduated. Um, but i made them come <laughs> because mm-hmm. you know it just gave me peace of mind if I'm not there at least I know they know at least something to if a guy does something and puts them in a bad position they can respond and have the confidence to okay I'm not going to shut down mentally I can Absolutely. respond Um and I know some people will talk about and I know I've had uh, a few other ladies, I'm sure you have too at your gym who have been survivors of, you know, sexual assault. Um, yeah. Some can, uh, some respond well to jujitsu and others, it it seems to be too triggering and they, they, they just mm. can't keep going. Um, what has uh, the outcome been for those types of women or that you have noticed or heard about in just the mental health field? What have you noticed?
1: I think that, um, something like, you know, along the lines of exposure therapy and, and making sure that you're exposing yourself to those triggers that are difficult for you in order to overcome them. We've kind of moved past that a little bit in the mental health field, Mm -hmm. and we're a lot more conscious of trauma-informed care. Mm -hmm. I think it's important for any academy where leadership knows that there will be women coming to class, especially if they Are aware of the background of trauma of some of those women to um to partake in training that's excuse me training that's trauma-informed and make sure that they have that aspect to the way that they're teaching and i think that done the right way it is possible for jujitsu to still be very helpful it's just about finding the right environment the right pace and really letting that person that student who has experienced the trauma Letting them lead the way in terms of what they're ready for, what they're capable of. Um, We're not going to fix anything by pushing someone. If anything, we'll re-traumatize them. Mm -hmm. So being able to let them lead the way of what they're capable of doing, what their comfort level is, even if that just means private lessons for the first six months with a female instructor, whatever that looks like, it's very possible to still start that jujitsu journey and do it in a way that's mentally and psychologically safe and that works for the Mm students so I think that keeping that in mind is very important and I certainly have seen women who after training for a while feel more confident feel safer find the confidence to be open about what they've experienced in order to help other women protect themselves better and know what situations to look out for Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff and in terms of using jujitsu specifically for um, taking on, you know, an attacker in real life, part of what will intimidate someone who's trying to attack us is purely that, that confidence and that assertiveness. If they feel like you're going to fight back, you're not an easy target. They're more likely to abandon and and go look for someone that's going to be an easier target. So it's even if you, you know, it takes a lot of repetition and muscle memory for those techniques to, be truly helpful in the moment that you're fearing for your life. But just that body awareness, that confidence and that posture and that assertiveness can be a huge tool in self-defense.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. And I think I can't remember what, uh, what article I read this from, but I, and I could be getting the number incorrect. So if it is incorrect, please, please correct me. Um, but I believe in, uh, sexual assaults, uh, attempts or you know or sexual assaults period only 12% are actually physically violent where the fight off you know if someone is fighting you off that doesn't right. deter them you know they they will keep going usually and, and unfortunately it seems that those often end up in the, the female's death but right um I think even with that in mind that if you are training for that worst case scenario of I'm going to have to fight for my life that's going to scare off the what is it the other 85% for sure. Exactly. So um and that's what I just try to encourage my my young ladies that I encounter with that hey you know at least if you at, you know don't apologize for having that you know the resting bitch face you know don't, yeah. don't look easy, like an easy target. You know, also don't put yourself in situations. Not that, you know, if you get assaulted at night, that you're not asking for it. But yeah. at least you're limiting those options. You know,
1: recognize exactly it's that limiting of the risks. And there's so many things we can keep in mind. Don't walk at night with your headphones with music and you're not going to hear somebody coming up behind mm. you. If you're feeling unsafe walking through, you know, any, street or park or anything get on the phone with a friend that Mm -hmm. way if anything happens they will know that something has happened tell them where you are Mm -hmm. and then they know what to do and uh you know stand up straight keep your head on a swivel look around your environment there's you know a lot of people who are much more well-versed in this than i am i just know the basics but Mm -hmm. that situational awareness and and making yourself seem like a much more difficult target is definitely the first step Mm -hmm. to uh to protecting yourself in those situations.
0: Oh, of course. And I, I, the book is called the gift of fear. I can't remember the author's name, Mm. um, but he talks all about, you know, trusting your instincts, you know, situational awareness. And there was a, uh, a metaphor or anecdote that he gave uh, about, you know, if you were to have a steel cage and there's a line in there, you could not force a gazelle to go in that cage with a line. You, you just couldn't do it. Right. You have that sense of fear. Meanwhile, if we're in an, oh, if the elevator opens and there's a guy in there and a woman has a very odd sense about it, we'll play it off like, oh, it's, I'm just being silly. And then all of a sudden you're in a steel cage with somebody uh-
1: absolutely and
0: so um it's those things i think it's more often i see it with women um and i mm-hmm. i have caught myself doing it one or you know one or two times and i I learned my lesson of trust that instinct you're not being a jerk you're not being you know a bitch or whatever term they yeah. they want to throw at you if you're getting a heebie-jeebie feeling you're getting it for a reason mm-hmm. Um and so and i uh and that's just, you know, training. Not I don't want to say training, but encouraging and teaching women to recognize that as a legitimate thing, and not to buy that narrative of what well, you don't want to be a jerk, you don't want to be a bitch, you don't want to be mm-hmm. X, Y, Z. Uh,
1: that's huge. we are very much socialized to be pleasant and personable, and that exactly like you're saying puts it in our head that we have to be polite and we can't be rude. But I love that you said heebie-jeebies because I always say spidey senses. Mm -hmm. And if if your spidey senses are tingling and something doesn't feel right, switch subway cars, say no thank you to that drink and go back to your Mm friends, whatever the case may be, listen to your gut instinct. And you are, you are never, nobody is entitled to our, of course we have to respect people and treat them with dignity, but nobody is entitled to our sort of politeness. And like you said, you know, they call it resting bitch face. You're not entitled to me smiling at you. I don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not something that I just have to do because I have to be pleasant. And, um, Actually, I have a jacket that my husband bought me for Christmas a few years ago. And it says, don't tell me to smile on the back. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it.
0: Oh, that's <laughs> great. That's great. And I think and he, it seems that even tied to, OK, well, we need to be polite as women. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's even tied to wanting to keep everything looking great in regards to mental health as well it's like well absolutely I got to keep on the face I've got to be all prim and proper you know being from the south I've got to be that typical southern belle of everything is put together to the nines all the time I can <laughs> and, imagine that. and so I uh and I think I'm wondering if that is connected um and I never thought of that before until just a light bulb just came on in my head it's like hmm
1: maybe that's yeah. Why. <laughs> maybe I love that because it is is—it is true. We see, for example, so many mothers struggling because they have to keep up that facade of, yeah, I've got three kids and I've got a job and I do the cooking and the cleaning and the laundry and everything's great and I still have time for cute Instagram photos of my perfect living room and my wonderful children who never make a mess. And there's so much pressure to have this glossy, picture-perfect life. And mothers feel ashamed when they have moments where they're depressed or anxious or thinking, oh, I just need five minutes without these kids. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's a valid feeling. That doesn't make you less of a mother. It doesn't mean you love them any less. You need a break sometimes for your own mental health.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know um, for my own, uh, I am not a mother yet. Uh, but I have watched my mother uh, raise me and then my sister who has special needs. And so she, mm-hmm. my sister's 28. If you were to look at her, uh, she looks like she's 12, uh, mm-hmm. but she she acts like she's a teenager. Um, so she wants that independence in that space, but she, you know, she's not in a place where she can. And my mother has always put on the best face. She has mm-hmm. never, and now of course this is in front of me, but I've seen her every now and then, she she's not, you know, a hundred percent and she doesn't want to admit it, which you know, I feel my mother is one of the strongest women I know, just with everything mm-hmm. she has gone through. But even, you know, mothers of unique situations, it's almost an extra level of stress, and you don't want to admit that I can't handle it. Um, Mm -hmm. and especially in the the special needs community it's it's an unfortunate thing where some mothers will give up their children uh because they can't handle it and then those who do you know continue to raise their children uh they don't want to admit that it's that as difficult as it is and so and there's that ostracization not in a that's a negative word, but there is isolation might be a better word um, because it is a unique set of circumstances that, you know, other parents, you know, who have children, uh, my sister's age, you know, they're not going through the same struggle. So she doesn't have that same group of friends that someone else in a different situation may have, which only adds to it. Um, and though that might not be a, an actual diagnosed mental, you know, Uh, disorder it certainly carries the weight of you know Mm -hmm. stress that other mental disorders can carry Um, so I didn't I didn't know if you had uh, not necessarily advice for my mother but those who feel maybe isolated um, and and going through those kinds of stressors maybe not a diagnosed uh, mental illness Mm -hmm. what what are some things that you might suggest as someone in the the field
1: I think something that's very important when you're dealing with something that makes you feel alone is being able to find your community within that. And that could mean groups online. It could mean groups at your local community center, at your social service organization in your town that offers group support. It could be just finding resources where you can read personal stories of other people who have experienced similarly to what you have. Mm-hmm. And so finding that community and understanding that other people are in the same experience as you are, or very similar can help build that hope and that sense of I'm not alone and maybe I can get through this. So I would say that that is a great step to take and learning to ask for help when we need it is huge Mm -hmm. and learning to accept it without blaming ourselves or shaming ourselves for needing the help. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, there's nothing in life that we can always do alone by ourselves without anyone's help. We're always going to need somebody at some point to lean on Mm -hmm. and learning that that is not a sign of weakness is something that is really important, mm-hmm. especially for parents who may feel more alone because you know, like you're saying something like having a child with special needs or <clears throat> excuse me, or a disability can make you feel quite isolated and, and also make you feel like like you're never good enough which is not true at all but that's a very valid feeling to feel so finding others in a similar situation as you and reminding yourself that you need to care for yourself as well that self-care is is really important and there's nothing selfish about needing a step away from your child to recoup so that you can then better care for them when you come back
0: Mm -hmm. and that that is such great advice and that self-care is so important Um, But I think sometimes we might, again, I guess that's the idea of going back to, you know, we always have to be polite. It seems as women and selfless, that kind of doting housewife or doting girlfriend, whatever it may be, Um, that if you're constantly giving, which is certainly not a bad thing, eventually it's like pouring water out of a cup. Eventually the cup's going to run dry. Absolutely. So those things like for me and- I, it sounds like for you as well. uh, Jujitsu is a way that I can recover and just have that me time, and just you know, for the you know, maybe thirty minutes if we're rolling, you know, not all at once, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I can just turn off the thoughts, and I have to think about what's right in front of me. You know, if I don't think about what's right in front of me, I'm going to get tapped or put this, yeah. you know, um, for sure. <laughs> but it, at least for me, I have found that it's very helpful for me just to you know, clock out mentally for not, you know, not all, you know, completely clock out, but just uh, a, yeah. you know, you know, just do something where it has to be so immediate to where my brain can't start overthinking about things that happened that day. Um, but of course, as you, you know, had mentioned, that is absolutely no replacement for serious, you know, talk therapy or psychotherapy or whatever mm-hmm. it is you may need. Um, and of course, you know, if, if needed pharmaceuticals, finding that right mixture with a with a right. physician. So it's just so important. And, you know, if we don't take care of our bodies, you know, we have complications, but if we don't take care of our minds, that can impact our, or not only our outlook on life, our quality of life, but also even our physical bodies as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. There are huge physical implications to a lot of symptoms, whether it be a diagnosed disorder or just heightened stress or anxiety that you're feeling, it'll manifest physically and you're going to feel it. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you that uh, jujitsu and proper mental health care can work in conjunction with one another to help keep you stable and healthy and, and happier. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, every time I get on the mats, even if it goes poorly, I don't regret it and it's I still get something from it. A good example is one time I, I dragged, this was fairly recently, I dragged myself to class despite the fact that my anxiety was through the roof. I wasn't sure if I could handle it, but I told myself, just tough it out. You've got to go train, just do it. I ended up having a panic attack on the mats mm-hmm. and my teammates rallied around me and brought me ice packs and, and helped me breathe and calm down. And when I got home, I thought, that was not a waste of a training session at all because maybe I only got 10 minutes of training before I, before I had a panic attack, but then it showed me the support that I have, the Mm -hmm. community I'm in. It reminded me of the people I can lean on and the people who care for me and are there for me when I need them. So it gave me that social and emotional boost even though I didn't get a great workout that night, mm-hmm. it still was a successful training session in my eyes.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, and you don't know if that was, you know, something where somebody's one of your training partners looks back and says, you know, she was still able to come and not be afraid to have you mm-hmm. know, that, that vulnerable moment with us. And that might just help ins- inspire them to keep going and still give them hope if they go through something similar.
1: I really hope so. Yeah, that's a very good point.
0: So I mean, you just never know that, you know, and that's always something I try to think of every day, you know, of you know, what is something that I can use, you know, it may be something painful in my life or I may be going I may be having the worst day possible, but what can I do with this pain or this moment? to make someone else's life better and to give them hope and encouragement. I know uh, at least, you know, again, I'm going back to my kids, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but they have, I've had, I mean, more than I would like to have come and talk to me about, you know, suicide and depression and anxiety mm-hmm. to where I can use those painful moments in my life where I thought, Dear God, nothing good can ever come from this. It is just dark, too painful to where now, you know, I didn't want to talk about it for the longest time. And now I can share that story with them and they say, oh my gosh, you know, how did you get help? What did you do? And I can talk to them and give them encouragement to Mm -hmm. say, hey, yeah, let's, let's find someone. Let's find a a person that is going to be a great fit for you and get you a good treatment plan.
1: And that's amazing. I think that's a testament to your, your openness and your compassion as a teacher that they're able to have those conversations with you that is, you know, a, a medal to pin on your lapel that your students view you that way, because there are many teachers that just don't, I don't think it's any malicious intent, but they just maybe aren't equipped mm-hmm. to handle those conversations. And the fact that your kids trust you with that is huge in terms of them getting the support that they need. So I, I love hearing that.
0: And, you know, and I think that's something where, you know, perhaps I think it all depends. It's a different generation too. a lot of the teachers that I teach with currently, you know, they're, they're my, you know, my parents age. And so that was something, again, that's a generational difference of, You know, my parents, they didn't talk about mental health. They didn't really talk about therapy, at least around here. Um, But now it has become so much more accessible as far as conversations. Um, Mm -hmm. So and that's something that I can just say, me growing up in middle school, high school, you did not talk about it. If you did, you were, it was like you had the plague. It's like, I don't want to catch it. Right. Um, which of course you wouldn't say that to somebody who has lupus, you wouldn't say that to somebody who has, uh, cancer, unless, you know, you're an idiot and you don't understand how those diseases work. (laughs) Exactly. So it's, it's so much easier. I think for people to have compassion on an illness or a disability that they can physically see, but if you can't see it, it's almost like it doesn't exist in people's Mm -hmm. minds and just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not real um you know if someone is having a panic attack or an anxiety attack you may not see what they're what is causing that but it is very real to that person in that moment it becomes it feels like a life and death situation exactly Um, and so it's i wish you know i don't wish people could you know have a physical manifestation i don't you know that's not but I I wish it's almost like sometimes you could have that person just for a moment, feel what you're feeling so they can understand. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's something that I try as, as a teacher. And, you know, hopefully when I have my own children, (laughs) encourage that empathy. And I think that's Mm -hmm. just something, Oh gosh, in general, our world needs more empathy. Oh,
1: Oh, empathy is huge. And I think it's at the core of every mental health intervention. And it's it's what I teach in all of the trainings and workshops and webinars that I offer. No matter the topic, there's always an aspect of empathy to it. And I think that the piece you're talking about of, of wishing that somebody just for a moment could feel what it feels like so they understood better. I think the closest we can get to that is people being vulnerable and open about their own story. And as part of my business as a public speaker that's what I do that's what I do when I speak to youth in schools that's what I do when I do TEDx talks that's what I do when I am on podcasts Mm -hmm. like this one I share my story and I hope that it will help others understand if I can describe that experience and and explain to them just like you said that it, it is real and it is painful and it's something we need support with and hopefully people understand better and we can keep breaking down that stigma.
0: Oh yes. Yes. And I know that you mentioned the organization submit the stigma. That's a great organization. And uh, that's something that I think, you know, just practitioners of jujitsu, I know it is specific to jujitsu and coaches. I think that's just a great way for people in our little neck of the woods, our little specific community can get involved and, Hopefully, have some more tools um, as coaches to maybe help teach through trauma, teach through mental—you know, help people, encourage yeah. people. Um, are there any other organizations or tools you might suggest for coaches or for students who just want to learn more? Uh, what would you
1: suggest? That's a great question. So, with regard to submit the stigma, we do have our mental health conscious academy training, which, as you mentioned, is geared towards anyone in a leadership position at their gym but we are in the process of developing other webinars and trainings and resources that'll be accessible for the whole jiu-jitsu community and we are also looking to expand into supporting other martial art communities um, whether that be MMA or wrestling or judo we're looking at just broadening our scope so I really recommend that people um, keep keep tabs on what we're doing and sign up for our newsletter and Mm -hmm. see how they can get involved in what we have to offer as well, because there's a lot more coming. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are also quite a few resources out there for training in terms of trauma informed coaching and uh, more mental health informed coaching and things like that. So that's certainly something that uh, people can can look into and give a little bit of a Google and anybody who's listening who wants more resources is completely welcome to reach out to me I'm sure you can get my info through Sarah and I'm happy to help you with your research for those resources Mm -hmm. so that's that's another thing that can be very helpful is just knowing who to reach out to for that extra education and training in terms of being a a better more effective coach and also I offer quite a few webinars I do one monthly usually and there are others that I do through other organizations or at different times of the year that are things like panic attack first aid or how to support someone who self harms, Mm -hmm. things like that. So those are also really helpful in getting a little bit more information. Um, It's really the basics. I am not training anyone to be a mental health professional, Mm -hmm. but it's the basics as a peer, as a community member that you can do to support. And those are great uh, tools to, to put in your belt, especially when you're, in a community where you might be helping with the kids class or, you know, helping the new white belts and, and supporting other people on your team. So those are all places that are good ideas to look.
0: Wow, well, thank you so much for coming on on the show. It has been wonderful talking to you and just hearing your story and getting your um, perspective on mental health and jujitsu. And just, it's been wonderful just having this conversation.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's always great to have a chat with somebody who is also open to that awareness and, and breaking down that stigma and who uh, sees it in the same lens where we have to really push for that, that support and that care that people deserve without shame and without guilt and always with empathy and compassion. So I really enjoyed this conversation. And thank you so much for having me. Well, th-
0: thank you for agreeing to be on. and. Uh... I look forward to hearing some of your webinars in the future too.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Bye-bye. Febreze is a proud partner of Can't Cancel Pride, However, you choose to express yourself, Febreze has the perfect scent to make your home even more fabulous in your own unique way. Have an amazing pride from Febreze.
1: When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal, even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply.